Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 11, Episode 48. This is Writing Excuses, issue Q&A with Dong Wan Song. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And we have that special guest star, Dong Wan Song. Hello. Will you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Dong Wan? So I am a literary agent with the Howard Morheim Literary Agency. Um, I represent science fiction and fantasy for both adults and teens. Excellent. So, um, we have questions from our Writing Excuses cruise members. And once again, these are excellent questions. We're not going to be able to get to all of them. I apologize. But um, this is a really good question that I think is a good follow-up to what we've been having that a lot of people ask, which is, can only certain people tackle certain issues in their stories? Austin asks. No. Yes. Okay, (laughs) discuss it. Fight. Uh, I think anybody... So, in my mind, storytelling and writing is where imagination and empathy interact, right? You are projecting yourself into someone else's experience, and you are trying to imagine that and render that um, as faithfully and as specifically with as much detail and context as you can. That's very, very hard to do. The farther you get from yourself, the harder that task becomes. So when you're writing somebody who has a very specific history and issues that aren't familiar to you, it's really hard. So most people who do it fail um, and fail in ways that can be very hurtful to other people. That said, I've seen it done very, very well by in a number of situations where it shouldn't have worked by sort of any normal objective standard. So my, my counter to that is that I, I think that you're right that anyone can write it and they can actually write it well. The question is whether or not they should. And, and a lot of times when you're dealing with, with an issue, what you're dealing with is a point of pain for a particular population that you are not part of. Anything that you get wrong in that, uh, the fallback from that is going to hit the population. It's not going to hit you. I mean, sure, people might be angry at you, but the, the negative impact, the lasting negative impact of that is going to land on people that are not you. The other thing is that looking at it from a colonial point of view, what you're doing is you are profiting from someone else's pain. Um, so it is, it is a question, and it's not that I think that you can never do it. It's that I think you need to look at the cost of it and whether or not what you have to say um, has, in fact, already been written by someone from that community and whether or not your story is going to overwrite theirs because you're coming from a dominant paradigm uh, and they are coming from a marginalized group. And that happens frequently. So, yes, you can write it. Whether or not you should and should publish it is a different question. In part, we're disagreeing over the half a percent of cases. 99% of the time, I agree with Mary. All right. Um, uh, Science fiction seems to excel at making issue stories engaging by 
Um, I'm just going to change the phrasing on this one by changing the context a little bit. Um, why does this seem to work better? Uh, Corey asked this question. So, I, okay, I'm going to jump in again. Um, I'll use a puppetry example uh, because we do this with puppetry all the time. Uh, when, when you do science fiction and fantasy, when you change the context uh, with puppetry, anything where you're, you're having it a step removed from, from the real world, what you do is you, you basically tip it at a slight angle so that the audience can see things in a different way, which allows them to see the connections between things and, and draw their own opinions about it, as opposed to let me present something straight historical uh, and give you my opinion on it, and therefore this is, this is the polemic that I am presenting you with. I think that uh, science fiction fantasy, um, you can make a metaphor for a, a, an issue happening right now. And I, I remember a time when Cory Doctorow and I were talking, and he made the point, which has been made by many other people, but that science fiction is not about the future and fantasy is not about the past. They are both about the now, told through different lenses. Um, and by taking the science fiction or the fantasy a few steps away, what it allows you to do is write a metaphor that um, can attack an issue from a different direction and can divest itself of a little bit of the, um, the specifics of the current conversation and get a little bit of those big questions. Like, uh, you know, Stephen Barnes was saying, you know, what is, what is the big philosophy of this? Let's deal with it in a different way. We did this exact thing, and by we, I mean Mary, uh, when she generalized with gerbils yes. in talking about <laughs> yeah. issues and mm-hmm. said, you know what, we're going to hold up the love of gerbils as a stand-in for all possible issues. And what this does is it removes the instant trigger from certain members of the audience so that they can hear the whole discussion instead of shutting down at a certain point. And, and that is incredibly valuable. It allows your story to be more widely accessed in that regard. I feel like the danger is that you will end up simplifying, you will end up glossing over, you can end up missing, yeah. missing certain key points um, but, but there is definitely a need, there's definitely a need for the love of gerbils. To use a military metaphor, you're, you're controlling the terms of engagement. Yeah. You're controlling, mm-hmm. you know, the battlefield and figuring out, you know, what are the, what's the terrain we're actually going to have this fight on? Um, as an example, I think Ursula K. Le Guin is the unparalleled master of doing this. Left-handed darkness and the dispossessed both. hmm Yeah. All right. So... Um, Carolyn asks, do you have any strays for handling these issues in the context of short fiction? It's, uh, I'm the short fiction writer. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, it, it's the same tools that we use when we're dealing with novels, uh, that you, you want to make sure that you represent multiple points of view. You want to make sure that, uh, that your character is wrong sometimes. And sometimes that's the way you represent multiple points of view without having to have a bajillion, a cast of bajillion is to have your character recognize that they're wrong. Um, you, you attach it to a different main driver. It, it's true that in short fiction you can't have as many threads going, but you can definitely have two or three. And as long as the only thing that you have going isn't that issue, uh, you're, you're much more likely to be able to pull something off that is engaging 
Um, and then also jumping back to something we said uh, where I quoted Elizabeth Baer, don't answer the questions. And in short fiction, even more so. Uh, short fiction, you definitely have room to leave questions open for the reader to continue to think about, which is really your goal with the issue stories is to leave the reader thinking. I love um, Celestia's question here. How do you make sure you, re- you research the issue enough while not paralyzing yourself with high expectations to do it justice? Break your research into two phases um, is what I try to do. Um, and the first phase is I want to learn a bunch about this so that I can tell what I believe to be an honest story. And then the second phase is when I send it out to readers. And if I'm dealing with an issue specifically, I want to send it out to readers who know about that issue and who know more about it than I do. And that's really a second wave of research in some ways to say, yes, you got this right. No, you got this wrong. Um, you know, and you, and you have to have readers who are willing to work with you rather than just <laughs> demanding random person off the street who is involved yeah. with this, read this for me. But that can help. That can help you just get started and get the writing done and then clean it up. Yeah, and that actually hap- uh, helps with Austin's question, which can expand upon this. Um, so if you guys want to throw in more stuff, he asks, how do you accidentally um, avoid accidentally including an issue that you didn't notice in your writing? Um, and having good alpha and beta readers can help with this. I'm going to take the tactic of you probably will accidentally include issues in your writing. And one of the things that has been very helpful that the community's helped me with is learning to be okay acknowledging that you have made a mistake on a controversial issue and being okay with being wrong and just owning up to it, right? Um, which is really hard to do. And as writers, you want to be defensive of your writing and say, oh, but I didn't mean that and things like this. N- no one, you know, it's okay if you didn't mean it, but you still did it. And so just saying, you know what? I'm still learning about this thing. I screwed up there. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, could I use you as a resource next time to help me not do this again? Or could you tell me in specific some of the things that I'm doing wrong? Like you, you giving yourself permission to be a racist on occasion and own up to it and say, I was racist, I will do better, is a really important thing for people to be able to realize, I think. There's a, there's a thing that someone said to me. Um, actually, it was a, a thing that was going around on Facebook. Um, <laughs> that counts as someone said to me. Um, and, and it was um, that your first reaction to, to something is uh, based on the culture that you grew up in. And, and you have to recognize that in America, we, we are growing up in a racist society. Your second reaction is who you want to be. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you do screw up, yes, that's bad. Um, and, it, and you have to recognize that that causes damage, even if it's not something you did intentionally. But your reaction to being told that you screw up, that's who you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my brother had this happen uh, when he was writing his most recent science fiction, Dark Energy, which is awesome, by the way. You should all read it. It's like Independence Day meets Gilmore Girls, uh, and it's fantastic. <laughs> and the main character is Navajo. And uh, my brother, you know, he has been involved with that community for a long time. He lived on a reservation for, for a, a year or two. He, and so he was trying to include this character, and he was trying to do justice to her and to her family and their culture, and sent it out to readers, and they pointed out, no, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is incredibly offensive. 
and he owned up to it. And, you know, fortunately, because he was doing his research and doing his due diligence, he caught all of those things before he published it, and he had the chance to own up to those mistakes, to change it, and, uh, to, you know, to fix it, and, and the book is fantastic. It can be worth engaging a sensitivity reader to review what you've done if you know you're dealing with something that is particularly difficult. Um, I think it's you, Mary, actually, that has the great guide on your website on how to find a sensitivity reader. Uh, n- um, I was thinking about writing from the margins, Justina Ireland's website. Yeah, Wait. you linked to it. That's okay, how that's, I found okay, it. Right. Okay, so it's, it's actually <laughs> Justina who has that on her, her website. That's absolutely right. And she has, she has a guide for finding sensitivity readers. It's a paid service. It is not something somebody's doing for you as a favor. Those are alpha and beta readers, and they're useful in different ways. Um, but in, in, in specific cases, it can be very helpful to have someone take a look at it, especially if there's a specific issue mm-hmm. you want them to look out for. And well, you ju- just remember that culture is not a monolith and mm-hmm. that that person cannot give you a seal of approval. Um, there is no POC seal of approval. I've asked. Mm. <laughs> you, you didn't get one? I have one of those. Well, you're, I'm not POC. <laughs> you didn't, you, could you stamp this for me? No, I haven't looked at it yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, the point is that they can, t- they can tell you things that you have gotten wrong. They cannot tell you that, yes, this is 100% right. And so when someone calls you on something, it is something that you got wrong. And there are also occasions, this is going to be complicated, I mean, there are occasions where they can say something was wrong and you don't have to listen to them. It's up to you to decide the scale and the impact. And, you know, you can make that choice. It's still your book, you, but you have to stand buy it when people come back to you later and say, this was hurtful, and you knew that ahead of time. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique, which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, let's stop for our book of the week. Um, Our book of the week is um, a book I really like by one of my favorite authors, Jancy Patterson. Um, Jancy, we've had her on the podcast a number of times, is a fantastic writer, and she has an issue book, which is a really different issue, uh, which is why I wanted to pick it. She has a book called Gift Child, which is this awesome book about, um, so there's a teenage girl whose uh, sister and husband um, can't have a child. And the teenage girl decides she is going to get pregnant and give the child to them to solve their problem of infertility. Um, which, you know, this is obviously the, the teenager has some issues um, and the whole thing. But it is brilliant in that Jancy is capable consistently through her books um, to find issues that no one else is talking about. Um, that have these really great pitches, but when you dig into them, it's, it's not that it's silly. There's a real emotional issue going on in this book, and she does these things consistently in her novels, and uh, it's one of the things I love about her writing. Um, and so Gift Child by Jancy Patterson. Um, you guys should all read it. All right, next question comes from Austin. I think we had one of his earlier, so good job, Austin. Um, how do I write a perspective I don't agree with convincingly without convincing my readers that I am not on the side of the argument. An example, writing a KK member, KK mem- KKK member without sounding racist. Uh, so this goes back to the thing I said earlier, that writing is about empathy and imagination. Um, that KKK member is still a human being. He ha- comes from a place, he has reasons for doing what he does, and they may be bad reasons. He is clearly doing bad things. But the more you can figure out how that is a specific person who has a history and a context, the better you're going to be able to show how he's making a case and still you can, as the author, can disagree with it. But if you embody it in a person, that's not you, that's the character. Yeah, it is less important to me that my readers know my personal positions and politics than it is that the story that I wanted to tell was told correctly. If, if my personal politics are, are really important, you know, if it's important to me to convey those to my readers, um, I just tell them, this is how I feel about this thing. And if a reader comes to me and says, wow, you, wow, you really wrote that David Duke-ish character like, like those words were coming out of your mouth, and I'll say, Thank you. That research was very, very painful to do, and I worked very, very hard getting that right, and I'm glad that it worked, and I'm glad to have been able to get that clear of my mouth so that now I can write more pleasant things. The the danger, though, is that, and I think this is what Austin's question is actually getting to, that that you can do these things and have a convincing character, but without a counter-narrative to it, it's very easy for that to reinforce a negative paradigm. Yes. So the thing that you have to do is you can have the character be do, doing all of these things and have a completely convincing, believable character, but there have to be people in the text who are calling them on it, and there has to be examples so that the, the text itself points out the, the problems with this, uh, the, the societal disapproval. There's, um, 
There's an example from Jane Austen that I use sometimes, which, which floats past a lot of people because we don't have the cultural context for it, uh, which she says, um, Mrs. Elston's, this is a paraphrase, Mrs. Elston's father was a merchant, if one can call him, dignify him as such, in Bristol. And, and this sounds like we're, we're you know, this is a, a snooty reaction to, uh, to, a, to merchant class. Um, but the, the cultural context that the reader would have had is that Bristol was a slave port. So Mrs. Elston's father was a merchant, if one can dignify him as that, in Bristol. It takes on a completely different context. So the thing that, and, and that line does not play for a modern reader because that context is no longer there. So if you are having a character who's doing something offensive in the book, you need to make sure that the context of that is present for the reader so that the reader sees the impact of it and the reader understands the circumstances that led up to that. I would say hanging a lantern on it is one of your best tools for these sorts of things. Um, And it can be really hard um, because let's say you're writing, as I have done, in a secondary world fantasy, um, which is an awesome epic fantasy world that is also deeply sexist and racist. And nobody really knows that they are. Um, this can get really difficult. And so you have to find opportunities to hang a lantern on it to show the impact on certain people, even while society is moving forward. And it's, it takes practice. It takes work. It, takes, it is very hard. Um, but we do things as writers that are very hard because they are satisfying and they challenge us. So um, Joe asks, how do you write about an issue deeply personal to you without turning it into a look-at-me sob story? While still, he asks, but still retaining accuracy and emotion behind the issue. It's a great question. I yeah. wish Desiree were still here. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think part of it is to make sure that you are showing you know, the positive aspects as well. If you're telling a story about your own life, you know, a memoir, something that happened to you that was painful and that was tragic, you know, that, that inflicted something on you, make sure that you're also showing, you know, other aspects, you know, to the extent that you can. If there was literally nothing positive going on in your life for those entire years of the story, then, then it might be a sob story and, and that's what you're trying to tell. But, you know, showing, and, and I'm thinking about my mom right now. She has MS, she, uh, you know, has different periods of health and there are times when she can't walk. There are times when she's completely bedridden. And were I to tell the story of her life, it would include a lot of that sad stuff, but it would also include all of my happy memories with her and the times when we would all eat dinner on her bed because she couldn't go to the table. You know, and so when, when you have these problems, we tend to look for the bright side anyway. Make sure you're including all of those in your story. Yeah, a few years back I wrote a uh, creative nonfiction piece called No, I'm Fine, which in about 1,200 words walks the reader through my brain as I'm having a mental health episode. And it, it really is in one sense, you know, uh, look at me, wow, this is sad. But my goal with that story was to make the reader feel what I felt so that they could understand a particular mental health issue. That was the whole point. And after 1,200 words, that was enough. If I wanted to put that in a larger work, I would have to couch it with a bunch of much more pleasant things because I wouldn't want a longer work to be all about that. 
gallows humor can be very useful also in breaking that up. Uh, I think hyperbole and a half, just oh, queuing yeah. up what you just said, is a great example of a way to make a very hard story about mental health issues incredibly funny and sort of yeah. endearing and uplifting in a lot of ways. Um, I think the other tool goes back to the first question of, especially in science fiction and fantasy, the metaphor is useful. You apply it to give yourself some distance. Transform the situation so you're, it's informed by your experience, but it's not actually your experience. I think we are going to go ahead and call it there. Dan, you have some homework for us. Yes, so we've been talking about issue for a month. Next month, we are going to talk about ensemble. So your homework this week is to kind of bridge those. You're going to take an issue and create an ensemble out of it. Take an issue that you haven't dealt with yet in any of the previous homework that we've given you. Uh, gun rights or price gouging in pharmacology. You know, something that you haven't talked about yet. And then examine as many sides of that as you can and create a cast of characters who each espouse a different viewpoint on that issue so that you have a large ensemble cast. And next month, we'll talk about ensembles. All right. Thank you, Don Juan. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Writing Excuses Cruise members. <laughs> this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.